Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was good. And he spent the next six days showing just how creative he can be. He created light, water, sky, land, animals, and fish, and even agriculture. And then, then he created man. Oh, his favorite of all creations. He loved man so much that, that he created this thing, that thing there, in his own image. God himself breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. No other creation would share this. And it wasn't long after this, after God's creation, Adam, is when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God placed Adam to a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, God took one of his ribs. And from that rib, God created, as the scripture states, a helper for Adam. And Adam liked what he saw that came from his rib. He said, yeah, I can get behind that. All right. God's got my back. All right. And so Adam said that this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. And there at the very beginning of creation, the very first male and the very first female standing there before God, And God loved his creation so much that he wanted to give these two a gift. So they're in the garden in the presence of only purity. See, by this, there was no evil, no sin or no corruption. It was just these two creation and God himself. He gave them a gift that will allow them to experience the full presence of God no matter where they are. He gave them marriage. And God said that day, man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. And God looked at marriage and said, this is good. Lord, we pray now, your word not be spoken void. The truth be spoken now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may have noticed a theme this morning already. 
We've had couples coming up and reading scripture, leading song, even playing guitar and bass. Even that was every week. But today we say they're, you know, they're married, you know. <laughs> had a guest play drums, say, brother, from my heart, thank you. You allowed me to worship. So thank you so much. Yes. And reminding me how much I need to learn. So thank you. <laughs> but today we're focusing on what the topic is in Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to be taking a look into what the next dispute that God has with the nation of Israel. We've already gone through two of these. And, and for those who are just joining us for the first time, you haven't been a part of this series or, or you're just kind of coming in on this cold, I encourage you to go back and to watch or to listen the first two previous two weeks so that you can get some context on what it is exactly we're diving into right now. What's happening between God and between Israel. And you see right now we're in the middle of a list of disputes that God has for his people. Issues that, that God is honestly calling Israel on the carpet for. He's, he's calling them out before as their own priests and people. And already, just in the last, really, chapter, chapter 1, he's already called them out on questioning God's love for his own nation. He questioned their worship. He disputed against them with it. And he also had a big dispute with the priests who oversee that worship. And now he goes on, to his next dispute, and he's not quite done with the priest just yet. He has another thing he wants to bring up before them. His next dispute is that of the way the priests have handled marriage. The way they've been handling marriage. He needs to talk to them about that, bring that up a little bit. He's not overly impressed with how Israel is handling marriage and how the priests are handling it as well. Now, what's interesting about this particular dispute today, here in chapter 2, verse 10, starting with verse 10, what's interesting about this dispute is that Malachi, who is the author of the book, is now turning a little bit and he's writing in first person. He's, he's going to address this one from his own mouth. Malachi, on God's behalf, is now going to be speaking to Israel. And this is very uh, unlike the other disputes so far, where Malachi has removed himself from the equation, but not this one. Malachi, he writes in chapter 2, verse 10, he writes to them, Have we all not one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? See, Malachi right now, he's approaching them as an equal, as, as a member of the same nation as everybody else, that he sees the same issue and the same dispute that God has, and he wants to come before them. Listen, O nation, he's pleading with them, he's reminding them. We all have the same father here. Now, this may be, when he's referring to father, most likely a direct reference to God himself. 
that we are the children of Israel and God our Father is our provider. A reminder. He's reminding the Israel that all of them, he himself included, are made in the image of God. Just like a child is made in the image of his father. Now some also believe that when he referred to the same father, that he may have been referencing the earthly father of Israel, Abraham. And again, he's reminding them that they're all linked together as one family with one father. And so then Malachi brings up, laying that foundation, laying that ground, he brings up the covenant that God has with only Israel. He brings up the covenant. Why, O oh Israel? Why do you bring dishonor to the covenant that God made with Moses, with all of us at Mount Sinai? And so the question is, how were they breaking it? How were they breaking that covenant? The covenant that God had made with Moses all those years ago. What were they doing? Well, when you're looking into a little research and you're looking into the context of Malachi and seeing what was going on in the nation of Israel at that time, what they were doing is they were divorcing their wives for no reason. That the men were just leaving their wives and families behind. There was no, no, no biblical reason for it. And then they would leave them behind and they would go and marry the women of foreign gods. And they were doing it strictly out of lust. This one looks better. So I'm going that way. And this is what was happening in Israel. They were, they were leaving behind their covenant with their wives and chasing the, the lust of their hearts. And the crazy thing is, the absolute bizarre thing here that God is addressing is that the priests were allowing it. And they were performing the ceremonies. They were allowing it, blessing the divorce, and then when they found the new woman, come on, I'll marry the two of you up. I'm going to tell you, that there is a special responsibility of a priest and a pastor, a reverend, that he has with God. It is their duty to not only perform the covenant bounding ceremonies, but to make sure that it is right in the eyes of the Lord. For it will be something that will be judged on. This is a very serious matter to God. A very serious matter. And the priests were breaking covenant with God. They were breaking covenant with, with, with the Lord Almighty by performing these ceremonies. And so Malachi, he continues, he writes here in chapter 2, he says, Judah, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed, he writes. You, Israel, have violated the gift that God gave man. This gift that he has given us, that you, Israel, have violated it. The gift that he loves so dearly. You're marrying the daughters of foreign gods. Now let's just put this into a little bit of context in the Old Testament, all right? Let me kind of break down what we're actually seeing here. 
Malachi is literally, literally speaking about Israel marrying women from outside of the tribes, outside of the, of the nation. This isn't a metaphor. It's not some type of symbolism, but a literal rebuke of Israel not mar- to, uh, marrying non-Jewish women in this particular case. Now, our 21st century minds, we really can't grasp this concept. Why can't the men of Israel marry, marry the women of their choosing? Why are they being held to this such strict standard? Why are they being, being held to this level of, of, of really keeping this together? Why, why is this happening? Now, I'm going to tell you, as I was writing this, that is a very loaded question. That has several answers. But the short answer for here in Malachi chapter 2 is that God was in covenant with them. He had consecrated Israel to be his chosen people. That they were, they were going to be the people who showed the world the power of God. They had to stay pure. They had to stay clean. They had to stay focused. There can't be any the infiltration of outside gods coming into the nation. In fact, the marrying of foreign women was written in the law of Moses. And it was addressed several times in my study, times in Exodus and Deuteronomy, again in Joshua. They brought it up in 1 Kings. Ezra mentioned a few things about it in Nehemiah. I thought he'd have a go at it. You see, the nation of Israel, they're not ignorant of the law. They're just indifferent to it. They don't care. The blending of marriage throughout all of Israel's history almost has almost always resulted in apostasy. The men abandoning their faith to God, trading, in other words, their image for lust, that their image was for sale the one that God gave them, and they traded it for lust. I'm going to tell you that God holds the sanctity of marriage in very high regard. This is what chapter 2 is about. I've spent a considerable amount of time in prayer about this message, and I pray that the words I speak are from him. Marriage is holy to God. It is a covenant to him and to each other. It is love. It is an act that is loved by God. A gift given to man. It has always been from the very beginning, from the garden, a packaged gift that God gave his creation. And I'm going to tell you that when we sin against our marriage, when we commit acts against our marriage, that we are sinning against something that is holy, that in the eyes of God is made perfect, against something that is a covenant, against something that is absolutely and dearly loved by God himself. When he looked at marriage, he said it was good. It is also designed for one man and for one woman. And when marriage takes place, When it takes place, a spiritual thing is taking place. 
This is what's happening. That when we have the marriage to become a spiritual thing is happening. You're in the presence of God. You're in the actual presence of God when this is happening. The eye of God starts to only see these two individuals. His eye only starts to see one. That they're one now. The covenant ceremony, often today we display this in our vows. The covenant ceremony has the man and the woman submitting to each other. That's the purpose of it. An acceptance of the covenant relationship taking place. We often say things like this, to have and to hold, for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And then we look each other in the eye and we say, till death do us part. Sorry, my wife just came to mind there. Sorry. Because <laughs> the two became one. They became one. And by the way, all of this, all of it, is by God's design. It's all by God's design. From the very beginning, everything, including marriage itself, can be directly linked to the image of God. Everything about it is directly linked to the image of God. The man is giving his image to the woman. And the woman is giving her image to the man. And so they exchange last names. She, she takes his name, the exchanging of images. And now their image is now one. And now I have to tell you, at least I feel my heart, is that it is the husband's role, his responsibility to take that unified image of the couple and then give it right back to God. To take the unified image of this couple, that the, of your spouse, and to say, here, we are now one, and I'm now placing it back into the hands of God. That this image, so that your image as a couple is now in sync and one with the image of God itself. This is why God loves marriage. This is why he holds us so holy. Because there is no other relationship on this earth that is designed to literally bring two souls into one. To literally bring ourselves into one so we can then be in complete covenant with God. To have a union like this. This is why the honesty is, is that when, when things on the outside of our marriage try to break it, whatever it is, this is why it hurts so much. This is why it brings so much damage to the relationship when these things happen. It literally is breaking the heart of God. But I also want to say that marriage isn't only designed for the benefit of each other, for husband and for wife. It is absolutely, without a doubt, in benefit to our children. No questions asked. Unlike our spouse, unlike the one I said, till death do us part, we are not in covenant relationship with our children. Even though it may feel like that often. <laughs> I'm in covenant with her. 
In fact, our role with our children are to raise them to know what it is to be in a covenant relationship. And then we are to do the exact opposite of a covenant relationship, and we are to release them. Right? Or to release them, right? So that they can start their own covenant relationship. This is how it is. So even in the midst of us raising our kids, and and they come at different ages, some are are toddlers, babies still, and they're they're demanding, man, they need everything, don't they? Oh, goodness, waking you up every two hours. All the way to toddler, to teen, preteen, college, you know I me. Mean? There's so many different stages of it. But even in the midst of raising our kids between basketball or baseball practices or soccer or school functions, band performances, and all of the, all of the alike, we must remember that it is our spouse who we are in covenant with in the process. Our children... Our children, I love my kids more than anything on the planet. Josh, so obedient. Ellie, getting there. (laughs) We're working on it. But our children do not take the place of each other. It's an unhealthy balance of the marriage relationship if we make the kids the only unified priority for each other. Now, I'm a big believer in date nights. And you get, take them when they come, you know, especially if you got young kids. You take those when those not opportunity. Can I watch your kids? Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. We're going to be out for a little while. Here's my phone number. Text, you know, if it's an emergency call. You know. I believe in day nights. That's important. Our children must see, they have to see that mom and dad love each other. They have to see that we take time for each other. And I even dare say, let your kids see you hold hands. Let them see it. You see, these these images of mom and dad going out on dates and holding hands and caring for each other, this will serve as a foundation when they enter into their own covenant relationship. And I believe I do believe that when the tree is healthy, the branches will bloom. Now, I say all that to say I grew up with a single mom. You know, me and my brother, and my mom raised us by herself. And my mom had to serve in both positions as as mom and dad. And did a fine job. And I love her for it every day. I know you're watching, and I love you, Mom. And I know these things happen, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I want to say that all of this, the way we raise our children, the way all this stuff happens, all of this is directly connected to the image of God. That as parents, especially fathers, our role is to take their image, the, the image of our children, take their will as strong as it can be, to take their will and you bend it to ours as mom and dad, to bend... To, to take their image, take their will, bend it to ours, not our image, our will, and bend it to theirs. 
And why? Why do we do this? Because when we, husband and wife, have entered into a covenant relationship, we have already given our image to God, and then we pass that image on to our children. This is it. That oftentimes, and I have found this to be true with with the raising of my kids, that oftentimes a child's image of God himself is often found in the image of his parents. And again, as I was studying, this was by design. Because there will be a day, and some it's already come for some of you, that there will be a day when your kids will stand on their own two feet, making their own decisions, and they will be walking their own path. And the foundation you set at home now will be the one that they will continue to tread on. This is why Malachi is rebuking Israel so strongly in his dispute. This is the exact reason why. That Israel, in this case, in in chapter 2 of Malachi, that Israel's next generation's foundation is at risk. And this is something, as the priest, as the nation, they're having a serious talk over with God. They knew, see, the people of Israel knew that they were breaking the law. They knew they were. They knew what they were doing. They just didn't care. They didn't care what they were doing. And in fact, what's crazy to me was when I was reading through Malachi and I was studying this, is that, that the scripture says, it is written here, that the nation of Israel would bring their offerings to the Lord, to the altar. They would lay them down. They would follow all of this, the, the offering rules and regulations and they would bring it there. And the scripture says that they would just cry. They would cry at the altar. Now you may be thinking, Well, maybe because they have a convicting heart and they know what they're doing is wrong. No, that wasn't why they were crying, it says. It says that they were crying because their offering wasn't being accepted by God. It was being rejected. It was being turned away. And so they bring it to the the altar and they, they would cry over it. And so this... This motion of continually coming every every day, you're not accepting it again and again, and, and they're, they're, they're weary, they're tired, and they're crying. This is when they respond. This is the moment Israel finally responds to God on this dispute, and they're, they're, respond, they're, they're tired of crying, they're tired of their offering not being accepted. Even after Malachi's words of warning, they turn to God and they ask him, why aren't you accepting our offering? Why aren't you doing it? We're tired. We're doing everything you've said. We've laid it out the way you want us to lay it out. Why aren't you accepting our offering? They're wanting God to brush what they're doing under the carpet. And they want him to still accept the offering. To live under the blindness that this is normal. This is how we do things now. God, can you accept this offering? Why are you doing this, God? And his response is, because you're having an affair, Israel. You've abandoned the covenant that I've made with your fathers and started having affairs with the very things I've saved you from. Because God cannot accept the offering of a man who is fully choosing sin over him. This is the reality. And something that Paul will address later in the New Testament. And so Malachi closes his, this dispute, this little time here in chapter 2, 
by actually letting God have the final word. Up to this point, Malachi was kind of taking the lead on it. But Israel responded. And so now Malachi defers to God's having the final word on this specific topic. And this is what God says to Israel. Israel, I hate divorce. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. Now, what does that mean? I get the first part, but what, what does that mean, the garment thing? Well, this is a reference to the Jewish marriage ceremony. There's a part in that ceremony that when a man and his now new bride will get to a, to a point where the man would take off his garment and he would cover his new wife with his own garment. And it wasn't to hide her or anything like that, but it was a symbolic act that I will forever protect you now. You're mine and I'm yours. And you will be protected in my care and provided for in my care. That's what it meant. It was a symbol of protection. And God here in this moment, the final word, is saying that he hates anything that causes divorce and he hates the man that breaks his vow of protection and harms his wife. Be it a hand of abuse or a heart of lust. Now, let's talk about this marriage thing for just a moment. I didn't get to pick what marriage chapter 2 was about. <laughs> I was just going next in line. And I know. Uh, you know, there, there are a few things that I just want to say just from the pulpit right now. That today was not an in-depth or an extensive look into marriage, but it was just merely a, a bird-eyes view. That there's so much that we could dive into the topic of marriage, and I know that each and every single person's marriage is different. I want you to hear this, all right? I know that not all of you are married. Some of you are going, whew, yeah. I know you're not all married. Some of you are not old enough to be married. Some are choosing not to be married. That's all right. That's all right. Take a deep breath. But I know that we've had different life experiences. This is the part here in this moment that I'm going to come just as a pastor with a heart. You see, some of you I know have found that healthy balance of your spouse and your children, and you've been able to balance, figure it out, and all of that. And while I know that there are others who just may be hanging on by a thread, the next thing's the thing. That we are all in different places. But the one thing I'm going to tell you now, the one thing that is the absolute same, regardless of our different paths, 
where we've ended up, choices and decisions, there's one thing that has never changed, that is consistent, and that is our covenant with God himself. I can also say pretty confidently that there's nothing you can do to have Paul Ryerson stop loving you. But in Malachi chapter 2, here, when I was writing the summation, spending time in prayer about this, I walked away with God wants you two to be together. For those who are struggling in their marriage, whatever it is, I'm gonna tell you now that God can save it. God can save it. He can heal it. Don't give up. Don't let your heart become hardened. And you don't have to do it by yourself. In fact, I would highly encourage you not to. And that goes for anyone in this room or the voice online. That you don't have to do and figure these things out by yourself. That's why the church exists. This is why we're here. That if there's anyone on the sound of my voice who is hanging on by a thread in your marriage, do not travel alone. I promise you, God wants you to be together, and so do I. And if there's anything that I can do to be a part of that journey, call me. I'm there. I want you to lean on God, the one who can redeem, the one who can heal, the one who can and is ready to save. Now, hear my heart. Hear my heart, O church, when I say this. As I stand as your pastor, as the man given the spiritual responsibility to lead this flock, this church, I take that very seriously, and I pray for you often. I love you. It is my greatest honor to hold the shepherding staff when I go before the Lord and when I have you in my mind. But if any of you are in violation of your covenant, if you are abusing your spouse physically or emotionally, men, if you're not keeping your promise of your garments over your wife, if you are engaging in pornography, if you're having an affair, stop it. Stop. For the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your soul, stop. You are children of the Most High God. We are the body of Jesus Christ, the flesh, his blood. Those who are married, your spouses here online or in the room, I want you to pray with one another, maybe with your children if they're here. But pray, 
not a gimmick or a trick, nothing like that. But I'd be foolish if I didn't at least allow the opportunity for you to pray with one another. For those of you who are not married, those who maybe are even engaged seeking toward marriage, and you ask the Lord now for this, this time to get ready your heart and your mind for entering into that covenant relationship. And those who are not married, do me a favor today, if you would. Can you pray for those who are? And just pray that God bless the marriage covenant to bless them their children, then to bless the church, to bless the world. Would you just pray for that? I do feel uh, like God wanted uh, to do something, say something. Uh, but just the saying that Jesus Christ offers grace. And that, I mean, I'm trying to, I don't have this written. I'm trying to navigate this through as I was praying there. That he offers grace. And that there is a reality that we may not be with our first spouse. And I just want to say that Jesus has got this covered. Okay? All right? You're not abandoned, not forgotten. You're not. You're included. All right? I'll make sure we hear that. I'm going to tell you that, that Jesus can do things that I can't do. All right? And if you're in another relationship, marrying a new person, all I can tell you now as your pastor is that you do so before the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is what's asked of us. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. You are seen I want you to know this. And most importantly, God has already gone before you. Lean on him. Put your faith in him. Pray now, Lord, who do you want for me to be? Bring those two together. I'm just telling you, Jesus has got this, okay? I love you all. And I mean that. Those in this room, those online, I love you all. And I'm going to be transparent. This hasn't been like the funnest sermon I've ever written. (laughs) All right, let's do this, you know. But I realized that I couldn't be like, couldn't be like the priest of Israel. I had to speak the truth. And that this is the role that God has called on my life. And uh, so uh, pray for me too as I seek after him. I love you. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. 
We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.